Hey, what's up, Cape Christian? How you guys doing? Yeah? Good to have you. Also, welcome everybody who is online. We're so glad that you are with us this weekend as well as we land the plane for our one series. And I want to start by telling you uh, one, of the, one of my more favorite moments as a youth pastor. It was about 15 years ago. Uh, I was, we were working on a similar series as the one that we've been doing, and I wanted to try to bring a story to life. And uh, you know, when you work with teenagers, you got to kind of speak their language and help make things make sense. And so my team came up with an idea of how we could make this story come to life. And so what we did was before anybody came into the room early in the day, before we set, uh, before all the students got there, I took a hundred dollar bill and we hid it somewhere in the room. No, unbeknownst to anybody. And so the students come in. We had about 250 kids in the room that night, high schoolers and leaders and stuff. And so, you know, we do worship and we do the games and nobody knows. And then uh, I get up to, to do what I'm doing now is, is, to, is introduce myself and start the message. I say, okay, before we start, there's something really important I want to let you know. Somewhere in this room is a $100 bill. It's not on this stage and it's not at our sound booth, but it's somewhere in this room and whoever finds it gets to keep it. And as soon as I said that, I mean, it, it was like World War III, hurricane, pick a name in our youth room. You've never seen 250 teenagers just start like pushing each other and tearing stuff up and flipping chairs until finally somebody's like, I found it, I found it. And they were going completely crazy. And of course, their friends were like, you know, for excited because like he found it. They, I think they all assumed he was buying Applebee's that night or whatever. You know, other people were like, man, I can't believe that. And, uh, and it, was, it, was, it was a great moment. I'll never forget. Uh, and then I think, we, you know, my message was about eight minutes that night because we spent most of the rest of the night just putting the room back together because that's how long it takes, you know, to get teenagers to put things back and stuff. But it was an amazing moment. And it was to highlight the story that I want to talk about tonight. Uh, but as I was talking about this in staff meeting a while ago, our youth pastors were like, well, we should try that here. And so for the last couple of weeks, both Haven and Momentum did the same thing. And in case you're wondering what it looks like when kids go crazy to look for money, this was your youth group just a couple of weeks ago. There's a $100 bill in this room. I mean, it's about what you would expect, right? You know, all the chairs are gone. Uh, and so, again, the reason we did that about 15 years ago was to make an old story come to life. It's the same reason we did it just these last uh, couple weeks in our youth ministry. And uh, the really reason we did it was to emphasize the importance of something lost, emphasize the, the value of something that mattered to someone. And, and then we posed this question. Imagine if you had, and I would pose it to you, imagine if we had that same value that same importance, that same authority and assertion, that same sense of urgency for the very person in front of us that might need some little hope, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of light, a little bit of something in their life to bring hope to their life. What if we viewed uh, people next to us in our everyday life with the same importance and urgency we did with a $100 bill that could add value to our life? And, and the reason we pose the question is because the answer to that is Jesus does view that way. And that's what this whole one series has been all about is that, that, that one person that is in our lives that is hurting, that is broken, that is looking for hope, that is looking for help, and that Jesus might just want to use you to help be the key that unlocks their heart so that he can enter their life and bring about healing and restoration and purpose and redemption. 
We've been, this is week three, and if you haven't been here, I really would encourage you to go watch the last couple weeks. The first week, Pastor Joseph did the gospel in chairs and, and brought to life this idea of, of just how important the one is and, and, and God's heart. And last week, uh, Joseph and I uh, kind of did the, the tale of two sons and brought that story to life of, of two brothers and the righteous and the rebellious, and we saw the Father's heart towards them. And, and again, we have, for 35 years, we have been a church that is passionate about this idea of one, this, this concept of it's, this is not just about us, but we exist for a community around us. In fact, that's one of the codes here at Cape Christian. And so we've been kind of camping out in Luke chapter 15 over the last three weeks, and we've skipped the first story. And so that's what I want to dive into today. And we have something kind of, as I mentioned, special planned uh, that we're going to do at the end of this. And so I'm really excited about where we're going to go. But before we do, I, I want to just remind us that, that Jesus continued to come back to the heart of God, the heart of God. God, the heart of God. And, and as he's in this split company, he's wanting to make sure everybody understands what God's heart is towards everybody. And so Luke 15, we read the first couple of verses last week. If you weren't here, uh, th- this will be new to you. If you were, it's a reminder. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners, those are the rebellious group, remember from last week, were gathering around to hear Jesus, verse two, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious group, they were there too. They were complaining that he eats and welcomes the bad people. That the religious people didn't like that Jesus hung out with the rebellious people. The rebellious people loved Jesus. The religious people didn't really, which is kind of ironic, don't you think? Like that's maybe a little different than it is now. So this is his setting in his context. And now he's about to go in And the first story he tells, again, would have been very common in those days. We say often here that to know the world of the Bible helps to know the words of the Bible. And so Jesus didn't tell stories that made sense in 2021 America. He told stories that made sense sense 2,000 years ago in the Far East. In, in, the, in, the, in, in, in Greek, in Aramaic, and in Hebrew. And so he's going to tell a story that would be all too familiar to, to his audience, and he's going to tell about a sheep. We'll read it in just one second. But what you have to understand is most shepherds weren't actually owners of the sheep. They were just hired hand, or they were like kind of like a manager. They reported to a master who really owned it, and, and the master would hire these managers, and they were to take care of the sheep and build the land and, and grow the, 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 the cattle and all that. And so even when you see this word shepherd, you got to understand this wasn't even some Somebody who like owned the sheep. This was just somebody who was tasked to take care of it. And he's going to tell a story about one particular type of shepherd. And so it says, Jesus told them this parable. Okay, let's go back to that. This is just a ADD moment for me. If you're in the, in the, in the habit of memorizing scripture, this might be a good one. Then Jesus told them this parable. That is one you can remember. That's an easy scripture to memorize. Jesus wept, rejoice evermore. Then Jesus told them this parable. That's three scripture right there. So just trying to help some of you accomplish your goals. There you go. Uh, Verse four, he says this. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. Say a hundred. Type in a hundred if you're online. hundred. Don't say to type in a hundred. That was for them. And loses one. Say one. Type one. Say, say one. one. Loses one. What percentage of 100 is one? One. one. It's 1%. Is it the majority? No. Is it even a significant percentage? No. It could easily be considered a loss. Yes. You still have 99. I mean, if, if you get a test with 100 questions and you get 99 right, you still would technically get an A+. Plus. I never understood that. So one is not a significant number in our world, but it's a huge significant number in the kingdom of God. He says, if you lose one of them, he says, doesn't that shepherd leave the 99 and go into open country until he finds it? Verse five, it says, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, uh, keep going, and uh, goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost 
sheep. In verse seven, he ends it with this. He says, I tell you the truth. I tell you, I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. In the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over how many? One rebellious, broken, hurting person, one sinner who repents and comes to Jesus than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is telling this story, and he's saying one is a significant number. In fact, and what you have to understand, again, you got to remember, if you are the manager of these sheep, the agreement was this, that you are to do everything you can in your power to take care of the sheep that I have put in your care. That was of a shepherd, to do everything in your power to take care of the sheep. And so if he lost one, it wasn't his sheep. He had to report to the master so he couldn't go like, well, I got some good news and I got some bad news. The bad news is we lost one. The good news is we still got 99. The master would beat the servant. He would fire him. He would tell him to go pound sand. He would tell him to go get another job. It would not be acceptable. The expectation was that he did everything he could. It wasn't like some of us, uh, probably maybe men in, in the audience, uh, when, he, when it says he went into open country and looked, it wasn't like when we are looking for something in the pantry, like, hey, babe, where are the Cheetos? They're in the pantry. Can't find them. Where are they? Like, I told you, where are the, the socks are in the laundry room. I looked, they're not there. Like, this was not like a, 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 a half-hearted effort where it was like 0.5 seconds, like, oh, I'm kind of tired. The expectation was that the shepherd would go high and low across rivers and valleys, face whatever dangers and obstacles he would to show that master that he did everything he could to reach the lost sheep, to find the lost sheep, to save the lost sheep. And Jesus tells this story, and he's not talking about sheep. He's trying to help his audience understand the heart of God and why this kingdom of God, Jesus movement is so different than any, any world entity or society or religion that never existed. And I said this last week, but I want to put it back up because William Temple has one of the greatest descriptions and mission statements and, and, and understandings of what the church is. It's, and he says this, uh, this is an old, old quote, but he says, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. Everything else in our world says, get in, pay the dues, be exclusive, get the benefits, keep them out, push, push, keep us in, keep them out, whatever the case may be. But to be a follower of Jesus is to understand this concept that uh, it's this unbelievable both and where God loved me so much, he saved me, he forgave me, he's healing me, he's restoring me, he has a plan for me. And oh, by the way, he wants me to be a part of that in somebody else's life also. And it doesn't have to be either or. Really, the best tool I have in my box, in my, in my toolbox, is just let me tell you what God has done in my life. The, the, the Bible says the way we overcome the enemy is through the, the, the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus, what he did on the cross, and the power or the word uh, or the authority of our testimony. And it's let me tell you what God has done in my life. And so for us at, at our church, we're really, we're really kind of like fanatical and we're really intentional about this idea of one. And we're really kind of reinstituting that. We're reintroducing it. And we're maybe introducing it for the first time if you're new. But we want to make sure that this is the heartbeat of God. So we want it to be the heartbeat of us. And so here at Cape Christian, we say it this way. One is the one person that you are actively praying for or praying for and actively participating in helping to come to Jesus this year. I believe we've all been given a key 
to unlock some relationships, to hearts. We've been given some gifts, some skills, some relationships. And Jesus isn't asking you to do something outside of the realm of what your scope or your possibility is. He's just saying, will you just pay attention to what is in front of you? And this, this number one, I think, is so compelling because when I think about, man, we got to go reach the world. We got to go save the world. I'm like, oh, there's like seven billion crazy people. Where do we start? But Jesus never said go save the world. He said one. Who's just one person in your life? Who's one family member, one neighbor, one coworker that maybe, just maybe, with a little courage from you, a little bit of prayer, and a whole lot of the Holy Spirit, we could see some life change, we could see some families healed, we could see some communities transformed, we could see redemption, we could see uh, addiction be broken, we could see what Jesus does. And so many of us have experienced that because at some point we were somebody's one. Even if it was just your Sunday school teacher or your parents or whatever the case may be. And here's what I love about Jesus. While he always had crowds around him, he was never really motivated. He was never like, hey, disciples, come on. Did you count all the people? Did you see how many people came to hear me speak this week? 5,000 men. That's probably at least 20,000 if you count women and children. That's not in the gospel. He was always talking to the boy, concerned with the woman who interrupted him on his way to heal another person, the, the, the centurion, the, the, religious, the one religious leader who snuck away at night to talk to him. Jesus was always all about the one. And so for us, if I dare call myself a Christian, if I dare call myself a Jesus follower, then I am the one, I am a one, or I'm supposed to be one who goes after one. And that's what we've literally been talking about for the last three weeks is, is this idea of, of who in your life might God want you to, to use you to be a part of their story. I think it's unbelievable that Jesus came and he saved us. I think it's almost equally unbelievable that he wants to use me to be a part of somebody else's faith story. Like I am a mess. I am broken. I am imperfect. I have all kinds of quirks, all kinds of isms. I have all kinds of issues. My college football team sucks. Like I have so many things wrong in my life. And yet God is like, I still want to use you because it's not about what I'm able to do. It's about my willingness to let him use me because I don't have to do anything. God's the one that does really all the work. He's just looking for some people to use him. And that's the invitation. And, and I would say after you give your life to Jesus, that might be one of the biggest continue to be igniters of your faith is to see what God is doing in somebody else's life and go, I can't even believe that I get to play a small part in this. And that's the invitation. So back to our shepherd story, here's the intensity and the intentionality and the passion with Jesus tells the story. When I, when I tell you that, that, that the shepherd's job was to do everything he could, it, as I mentioned, it wasn't this like, oh, I couldn't find the, the, the nacho cheese chips or whatever. It was this idea that you literally, to save your job and to show that you had the master's heart, the, the master's compassion, that you cared as much for the sheep as the master, you had to do everything that you could physically possible to show you went after that sheep. And so you were to, 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 to explain the, the days you went, you were to go into the dangers. In fact, it got so crazy that if you came upon a sheep and they were um, being eaten by a lion or, or a bear, apparently they had a lot of those in, in Israel at that time. I, there's not as many these days, I don't think. Um, but they're eating a lion. The expectation for the shepherd was that you were literally to try to wrestle the sheep away from the lion. You were to be expected to rip it out of the jaws of the lion, kick that lion in the face, give up your life, literally lay down your life and come back tattered with scratches on your arms or whatever it was to say, the sheep may not make it, he's in bad shape, but I want you to know I did everything I could. In fact, even if the sheep was already dead, the expectation was that you were to reach into the lion's mouth. This is totally crazy and historically accurate and pull out a leg bone 
or an ear or some fur or a tail and go, the lion got him, but, 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 but master, I just want you to know your sheep matter so much to me. The ones who are lost, the ones who are hurting, the ones who have no hope that they seem like they're too far gone. I went down into the hill. I went down into the pit. I reached in, see these scratches? That was his teeth. All I got is a leg bone, but I literally did everything I could. That was the expectation, not of the owner, but just of the manager just of the shepherd. And Jesus says, this is the heart of God. And this is the invitation I make to you. In fact, there's one scripture in Amos. It's a different context, but it actually um, kind of indicates this. It, it, it uses this metaphor. And he, in Amos chapter three, verse 12, it says this. It says, uh, this is what the Lord says. As a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth, only two leg bones or a piece of an ear. Now, again, he's going to say something else there, but that's indicating this idea. And everybody in the audience that day would have been like, oh yeah. And so when it says the shepherd went through the countryside and found the sheep, like there's an expectation that he probably went on some like Lord of the Rings epic three hour journey just to find this one sheep. And there were orcs and there were crazy people. And like that, that was like, everybody in the audience wasn't like, oh, he like went across the fence and was like, oh, you're on the wrong side of the fence. No, it was never that simple. He might've had to fight bears. He might've had to like ford waters, all those types of things. And it was this, I will do whatever I have to. I will do whatever I can. And I believe we live in a time, we live in a time in history where God is just saying, I just want to give that heart to some of my people. If my church would have that passion, understand that my love will never run out for you. My plans will never run out for you. My healing, my grace, my forgiveness, my mercy, you could be so far away. It'll never run out for you. But please don't understand. It does not stop there. In a world that is just completely consumed with consumerism, I believe Jesus is saying, is there anybody who still remembers that I care about the ones that aren't here yet? Does the other younger brother matter to anybody else? Does the older religious brother matter to anybody else? The one, does the neighbor, who, the, 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 the person that, that, that maybe seems like they have it all together, whose life is falling apart and marriage is falling apart and kids hate them. Does anybody have my eyes and my heart that that matters too? And Jesus makes this appeal and invitation like, hey, I wanna invite you into what's most important to me, which is let's love God and love people. Love God and love people. And, and that's, those, are, those four words are our mission statement. It's both and, love God love people. And we don't want to be one of those churches that just love God and that's it. And they're like, oh, if you don't love God, we don't really have a place for you. But we want to, we want to invite you into that. And here's the beautiful part, as I mentioned. It takes so little effort on our part. It usually takes a lot of courage. We don't have to have a theological degree in seminary. You don't have to have the Bible memorized, although we just memorized one today. You just have to have a little bit of knowledge. You have to have a little bit of a story. I don't know if probably most of you have never heard the, the name Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a, a, a Sunday school teacher who lived in Boston hundred some years ago. He was, nobody history remembers, he was a nobody, you've never heard of him, but he was a Sunday school teacher. And uh, one day, uh, one season of his life, he felt specifically that as he would pray, that there was this one young man from the community that God continued to put in his mind and put in his heart. And, and he tried to ignore it and it wouldn't go away uh, to the point where he knew that God, he knew that God was speaking to him saying, I want you just to go set up a meeting. I want you to tell him about my love. I want him to tell him about my love and that I have a plan for his life. And this scared Sunday school teacher tried to make it go away, Mr. Kimball, and he couldn't make it go away until finally he's like, all right, God, I'll do it, I'll do it. And this, this young man happened to work at a boot shop and he's like, man, I don't know where else I'm gonna find him. Again, you gotta remember hundred years ago in Boston, he's gotta go to this boot shop and, and he's like, I don't wanna embarrass him. And what if he thinks I'm weird? And and I don't want to put him in a position where other people like maybe make fun of him or they tease him or whatever. And so a Mr. And he actually writes, he has a, a account of this. Uh, he says, I, so I went, I arranged to go meet him at the boot store and I was determined to speak to him about Christ and the, and the significance of his soul. But when I was there, I, I wondered if I ought to go in. 
And I thought I might embarrass the boy. And so uh, he said, I almost got afraid and went away, but I decided to make a quick dash for it. And so he went in to find the boy only to find out this young man was in the back cleaning boots. And so he said, I made a dash. I found him in the back of the building, wrapping up shoes. And these are his, these are Mr. Kimball's words right here. He says, putting my hand on his shoulder, I made what I feel like afterward was a very weak plea for Christ. It was not good. I just simply told him of Jesus's love for him and what Christ would want in return. That if he would give his life to Christ, that Jesus would do something great with his life that he could never imagine on his own. And he said, there in the back of that store, that one day, this young man gave his heart and his life to Jesus. All because of a scared, kind of ill-prepared, weak plea from a Sunday school nobody knew. Now, what Edward Kimball didn't know is that young man's name was Dwight L. Moody. If you know anything about the church history, Dwight L. Moody became an evangelist who preached on two different continents and led thousands and thousands and thousands of people to Jesus, started a Bible institute that still to this day is teaching people about Jesus and training ministers. And in fact, if you follow the lineage uh, through all the the, the services and and the rallies, uh, there was somebody who came to, to his thing that got saved and somebody who came to his, uh, Mordecai Ham and Billy Sunday and all the way through. And the only reason Billy Graham became Billy Graham is because somebody told Billy Graham who heard at one of his things, who heard at one of his things, who heard it from Dwight L. Moody. Why? Because one Sunday school teacher in Boston understood the power of one. And you know what? To his own admission, he almost chickened out and it was a pretty crappy appeal. And I think those stories give God all kinds of glory. And so rather than us go, I could never, God could never use me. What if, what if he has a a grand plan and you have no idea the scope of, of what your obedience and what your courage could possibly matter to just one person. So, so if you're like me, I, I am, I, I hear these types of things. And even when I prepare them, I get like fired up and I'm inspired. I'm like, yeah, let's go. And then somebody's like, you could ask me like, what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know, but it's going to be awesome. Like, I don't know. Like, uh, and so I, I've learned to become uh, appreciative of the practical. So I just want to give you, how does this one thing play out? Here is, here is the mission. Here is the, the, the vision for where we're going with this one is just, I want to give you three simple steps of how does one work in my life? And it might sound so elementary, but I, the last thing I want to do is just fire us all up and pump us up. And we do this thing and it's like, church was awesome. Like, what are you going to do? I don't know, but it was awesome. And so... I want to give you just three simple, practical things of how do you implement and apply one in your life? And it's really, really simple. Number one, just one name. Say one name. One name. name. The goal isn't to save the world. It's not to reach the city. It's just one person in your life. One name. This is one person. Who is one person that maybe continues to come to your mind when you're just driving or when you're thinking or somebody just keeps popping into your head and every, or maybe a name who keeps coming up at work and everybody else is gossiping about how their life is spiraling out of control, but you're not listening to that. You're hearing with the heart of the father who's going, oh, that could be your one. I want you to, to, to invite them to church. I want you to share what, how Jesus has saved your life. One name, just one person. And who's God putting on your heart? And here's what I love about this. Jesus made this so simple. When you look at how Jesus chose his disciples, there's this, this beautiful picture of, of this invitation about the one. He goes to these two boys, uh, actually goes to four of them, but uh, he goes uh, two brothers, Peter and Andrew, who Jesus' first two disciples, and they were fishermen. They were fishing with their father because all they had ever known was fishing. And Jesus walks up to them in Matthew chapter four, and he says this. He says, hey guys, if you will come follow me, if you will make your life about me, if you'll give your whole life and heart to me, he says, I will send you out to fish for people. Now, you may have heard this before. It might sound really simple, but I think there's, it's really important that we look at this, that Jesus isn't asking you to use something you don't have. 
When it comes to one name, he's not asking you to go after somebody you don't know. Here's the beautiful thing. He didn't say, hey, guys, if you, because Jesus, we know from history, was a carpenter, right? Jesus didn't say, hey, guys, if you come follow me, I'll teach you how to build a really great shed. Hey, guys, if you follow me, I'll make you a really great tax collector. What did he say? He said, if you will just give me the control of your life, if you'll make your life about me, I'll use everything about who you already are and just use it for a greater purpose. I'll use your background, I'll use your family heritage, your family of origin, I'll use your skills, I'll use your education, everything that has brought you to this point. I'm actually not gonna say, well, that doesn't count now that you're a Christian, we gotta start over. He's saying, I'll just use what you got. That's what I love about this. And so this idea of one is Jesus isn't going, well, if you do this, you gotta quit your job, you gotta move. No, 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 no. He'll use what you are. He's like, oh, you're good with numbers, we'll figure out a way to make one make sense to you or whatever. Uh, if you're not good with numbers or whatever it is, you're a teacher, if you're a, if you're a business person, if you're a homeschool mom, if whatever you are, he's like, I will, you'll be around people. I'm just gonna use what I've done in your life and who you are. And so this should be so inviting. He's like, hey, let's just fish for something even more important than fish. One name. And so, as, and so I'm, I'm asking you, because in a few minutes we're gonna do something. And, and here's, what, here's what you need to know right up front. If you're online, if you're in person, at the end of this, we're gonna have an awesome opportunity to, to identify that one name. Some of you have already been thinking, you know a person, you have a name. If you know who they are, there's gonna be an opportunity to do something. If you don't yet, it's okay, because what we're starting today is gonna go on indefinitely. And so maybe today, it's just about you starting to think about, starting to pray about one name. We don't want you just to come up with a name to do something. We want this to, be, to mean something to you. So the first thing is, how does one work, one name? Then the second part is one prayer. This is really simple. One prayer. It's just asking two things. God, will you give me your heart for this person? Just ask for compassion. Ask for his love. God, will you help me to see what you see? Will you help me to hear what you hear? Will you help me to love like you love? Give me your heart. And then the second part is, now will you give me an opportunity? Give me an opportunity, whether it's across the fence to my neighbor or at work with whatever, or in the community because our kids play on the same team or at the business thing or at the whatever. God, I'm asking for your heart and I'm asking for an opportunity. I got my name. And now I'm looking for the prayer. The prayer is, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. One prayer. And then the third one is just, is just simple. One invite. One invite. One name. One prayer. One invite. This isn't like master's degree divinity stuff here. One invite. And so that invite can be really simple. It's simply just inviting them into a conversation, inviting them to a personal relationship with Jesus, inviting them to church. I'll, and I'll say this, for some of you, it might just be like, hey, I go to this church. Uh, they do a pretty good job of talking about Jesus. The music's dope. Like, you should come check it out. Um, like, just inviting them to church. For some of you, it might, God might actually be asking you to take the next step of faith and go, no, don't invite them to church. You share your story and ask them if they want to pray right there at dinner. Like, you, you have one of those stories where it didn't happen at a church. It happened over a dinner table or in your living room or, hey, can I take you out to coffee? Because I've just been, I just need you to know I've been praying for you for like a year and I can't get you off my mind and my heart. And I just want to tell you about God's love. It's the same thing that the Sunday school teacher did. And then he has actually a great plan for you. He wants to use you to do something great. And if you give him your life, he'll do something more amazing than you could ever do with your own. Do you have any questions? Would you like, would you like to invite Jesus into your life? I just told you how he's completely changed mine. I'm still not perfect, but I'm way better off. Is that something that you would like to do? For some of us, that's it. And there's nothing like getting to do that. And so one invite, invite to church, invite to an environment, invite to a small group. And so 
These are the things. This is what we're going to focus on. And, and I'm telling you, as a church, we are the next three months between now and the holidays, this is our point of emphasis. This is what we're all about. One, we want to see ones come to Jesus. We want to see ones come to church. We want to see ones get healed, ones get saved. We want to see marriages come together. We want to see God do a move. We're, we're seeing some really cool things happen right now. And we just want to be intentional about taking Jesus at his word when he said, I'm all about the one. Let's have the Father's heart. And let's not just be about our thing, but let's bring more people into the kingdom. So... On a very, very practical sense, we've literally been planning for a year and a half to create about as many opportunities as we can do that right here in our church between now and Christmas. So um, just this week, our youth is doing a pumpkin bowl, a flag football tournament, extravaganza, huge party right here on our campus just to reach kids in our campus, to reach, or reach kids in our city. We just, we're gonna create as many environments to make it as easy as you possible to maybe create a bridge for somebody to, to, to give the church a chance or more importantly, give Jesus a chance. Because church doesn't really solve anything. Jesus does. Church is just part of Jesus' story. The other thing we're going to do on Halloween, since it's a big deal in our society, we're not going to celebrate Halloween, which is not the devil's holiday. You can email me if you're confused about that later. Um, but we're going to leverage a night people are out, and we're going to do a trunk or treat, and we want the city on our campus, and we're going to meet them with the love of Jesus, and we're going to give away candy, and we're going to invite them to kids' stuff, and we're going to really push another event. And so we're going to do a trunk or treat so you can decorate, have fun. You, we would love for you to volunteer, either give candy for that or whatever. That's going to be one thing. Christmas Eve, we're going to do a killer Christmas Eve service. We just planned it. It's awesome. We're going to have five of them so there's room for everybody because uh, we don't need to sleep. We just breathe this stuff. Uh, <laughs> It's all right. We do it every year. So we, we can't wait. But let me tell you the thing that I'm the most excited about. We plan in this literally for 18 months. This year, we're going to turn our entire park into a Christmas winter village for the entire month of December for the, all the kids in our community. We, as a board and a staff, we've been budgeting, we've been saving, we've been raising money, we've been planning. And so we're going to bring in an ice skating rink for a month. We're going to bring in a Santa's workshop. We're going uh, to have movie nights every night in the park, literally the entire month of December and through Christmas break. We want this place to be the place to be in our community for families and kids. It doesn't matter if you go to our church. It doesn't matter if you know who Jesus is. And so it's, to our knowledge, it's going to be by far the biggest thing this church has ever done. So it's going to require all of us. So we, <laughs> Pastor Bobby made it in for this part. I knew he would. And so here's what we need. I'm going to, I'll make an appeal. Right now, we need a few people that if you capture this vision, we need some builders to say, I'm ready to help make the winter. We have a plan. It is awesome. I promise it, we have an amazing plan, but we need some people who know how to build that would say, I want to make that happen. You may not serve on those nights or whatever, but you can help create it. Well, we, need, we need some people that can help build. We need some people who can say, help decorate. And when I say build, I mean giant gumball machines. I mean, we're going big, crazy. Same thing Cape Christian does every year. Uh, and here's how you, I, you know if I'm talking to you. If when you see an idea, you see something, you're like, that's awesome. And you're the person who goes, I want to go to Amazon and buy it. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> if you're the person who sees something, you're like, I want it. I'm going to go on Pinterest and Etsy and figure out how I can make it. We're talking to you. We want you, those who are like, I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to build it. If you have those tools, those skills, those abilities, we would love for you to connect with our office. You can talk at the connect desk. And we want to, we want to make this just something so memorable for the families in, in, in Cape Coral and Lee County. And, and we just want people to know there's a place where they can come as they are, where they're welcomed. And, and, uh, and, and we just want to bless our city for a month. And so it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a lot of work. Uh, and so um, if that's you, um, just like we do our text option, you can also text the Cape Seed in 94,000, uh, and there's option three. Uh, option three will say, hey, I'm here to help build the Winter Village. Again, we've already ordered the skating rink, and we got some of the things, but we just need some help. So that's what we're going to do. 
we're going to be unapologetically passionate about reaching our city. And that's the kind of church we are. And if that's not what you're looking for, talk to me afterwards. I can help you find a great church, but this is what we're gonna do. <laughs> because we take Jesus at his word. But before I say anything else, whether you're online or in person, all this, like it sounds amazing. Somebody, maybe more than somebody in here, you need to know that before you are asked or invited to do anything, that the first one is actually you. That Jesus is never gonna ask you to do anything until you understand his grace and his love and his mercy and how real it is for you and how personal it is for you in your life. You need to know that no matter how bad your life is, no matter how many mistakes you made, no matter how much you've rebelled, if, if you know what we were talking about last week, that under every circumstance, Jesus would leave the 99 and he would search the country and he would come find you. In fact, he left heaven. He had it pretty good up there. And he came to broken earth and was taken advantage of and abused and misunderstood by the very creation that he created, only so that in hopes one day you might give him a chance to understand his love and his plan and what he will do with your life will blow you away in comparison to whatever you could come up with. And he, he did it not because you could owe him. He did it not because he needs you. He did it because he wanted to and he loves you. In fact, the, the, the Bible in Ephesians describes it this way. This is such a beautiful uh, scripture. In Ephesians chapter uh, one, verse five, it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. The two things I love about this is adoption is like on another level. Adoption means you actually weren't a part of my family, but I wanted you so bad, we did everything we could and we paid the price for you to be a part of our family. And it doesn't say he did it because we would owe him. He did it so that he could use us or take advantage of it. He did it because he gave us him great pleasure. And so before you get excited about reaching somebody else, maybe this is your weekend. Maybe you get to be my one today. And you get to hear me tell you that if you would give your life to Christ, his love for you is unbelievable and he has a great plan for you and he can heal you and forgive you and set you free from any and everything you've done. And it, and it, occurs, it, it occurred to our team this week that even upon hearing this as my reference with the sheep and the lions, there might even be somebody watching or listening and you would go, Pastor, if I were honest with you, I'm actually more like a lion than I am a sheep. I've been more of a taker. I've done more harm than good. Guess what? There's nowhere that God's love can't go. There's no place his spirit doesn't dwell and there's nobody that's so far gone that he can't use. And so if, even if you feel like you've done more wrong than right, Jesus would invite you and he would say, give me a chance, let me show you my love and he can heal and forgive everything you've ever done. Because Jesus said it in Luke chapter 19, 10, he was always reminding people of what his mission was in the heart of God. He said, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So this weekend, we're gonna retire the clothespins. These have been up for about two or three years. And what these have been is they have, there's a couple thousand of them up here that have names on them. These names represent our one. We did this a couple years ago where we wrote a name and we clipped it up. And since then we've been adding them and taking them down. And, and so we're going to pray over these in a few minutes after worship, but we're going to retire these because we're going to do something brand new. But I just want to tell you one story of the power of one. See on this clothespin is the name Paul. P-A-U-L, I'm telling the truth, right? Okay, Paul. Paul came the very first weekend of 2021, his first time ever in church, our church, and a church really like this ever. Paul would tell you and told us that he'd been searching spiritually for a really, really long time, uh, had read the Koran, was into spiritualism, had a, a sense there was something out there, but was looking for love and grace. And, and so somebody who knew Jesus, who had God's heart, he was their one. 
And so he said, hey, you need to come to our church. You need to come check out Cape Christian. And so they came the very first weekend. And when he, was, he came here, he was searching. And I'm going to read you part of the email that Paul wrote us upon his first visit here, the very first weekend of this year. He said, I've never been a churchgoer nor considered myself a Christian. Yet after a, uh, the new year, a friend of mine suggested we should attend a service at Cape Christian. He was there one. So my wife, Crystal, and I asked me if I wanted to go. And I agreed. He's always been searching for God's grace, which never, I never seemed to find. Our first attendance was the very first Sunday of 2021, and Pastor Corey gave his first part of brand new, and I was moved by the idea of removing religion and moving away from the temple model and simply enjoying a relationship with God. I decided after that service I would give this charismatic pastor until the end of his four-week series, and I promised myself and my wife I would become, come with an open mind and an open heart and gave Christianity a, a real try. I also decided to do the 21 days of prayer, and over the next four weeks I did, uh, dedicated a good amount of effort in trying to understand all this new stuff. A curious transformation began in my mind and heart, and I found myself looking forward to going to church. Crystal and I sat with Nick, our friend who invited us, who was already a seasoned Christian almost every night, and we discussed the devotional of the brand new series. I found myself craving and receiving grace. He goes on to say a bunch of other things, and he says this at the end of the whole long email. He says, I've never considered myself a Christian, and I can't in good humor honestly claim I've never really prayed for truly acknowledge God, but last Sunday, I felt in my heart I was ready to be baptized completely or rather formally let him into my life as I'm fairly certain I let him in whether I knew it or not sometime after that first Sunday service. I wanted to express how instrumental Cape Christian has been in nurturing that growth. There's a reason why we drive an hour to go to church. And so Paul, for the last eight months, would come and sit and Paul went to Alpha learned about Jesus, got more involved, went through growth track, started serving. His wife started serving and just grew and, and grew in the, in the knowledge and the relationship with, with God. And, and just you could see God start to move in their life. It was incredible. But what we didn't know is when Paul came here in January of 2021, that he would only have eight more months left here on earth. Because unfortunately, two weeks ago, we lost Paul to health complications. He was in his mid-40s. Him and his wife would sit right there every single weekend in the 1030 service. And so now we're planning Paul's funeral and we had no idea. We didn't see it coming. And as unbearable and as sad as that is, we're reminded that even though we have no idea what tomorrow holds, Jesus always does. And I consider it a privilege to have gotten to be a small part of Paul's life the last eight months while he had spent almost 50 years looking for something only at the end of his journey to find Jesus and watch Jesus do more in eight months than he could find in this earth in the previous four decades. In fact, with permission from his wife, Crystal, she not only said we could share this, but he, she gave us his journal. And his last ever journal entry before he went to the hospital has the 21 day or prayer book. This is just less than a month ago. This was where Paul was at just eight months later. Here's his prayer, the last prayer Paul ever prayed before he went to the hospital. God, I need more of you. Fill me with more of you, God. Restore my union with you and fill me with your life. I want my life to be only about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Nine months ago, that guy didn't know who Jesus was. But somebody understood the power of one. Somebody wrote his name on a clip and somebody said, you need to come meet Jesus and you need to come to church. And because that, God knew the whole time what was gonna happen. He gets to spend an eternity 
in heaven with Jesus. And when we all pass our time here on earth, we get to hang out and party with Paul in heaven forever. Because somebody had the heart of the Father and said, you're my one. And here's what I know. We all have a Paul in our life. None of us know how many days we have. We don't know how many days the people in our life have. But you can bet that what's going on behind the surface, underneath the mask, is more than you really know. We all know somebody who's lost, somebody who's hurting, somebody who's looking. And I'm just saying, let's continue to be a church that's about the one. We're gonna celebrate Paul's life next week and what a celebration it will be because at the finish line, it was all about Jesus. And then we're gonna do what a church should do. We're gonna be there with Crystal and we're gonna mourn and we're gonna grieve and we're gonna walk with her and we're gonna continue to do what friends do. So here's what's gonna happen. At the end of this service, at the end of worship, we're gonna pray over these and we're gonna do something new, but we wanted to, to do something different as we launch this. And there's kind of a new phenomenon that's going on. I don't know if you've seen it. it, it it's actually started uh, World War I, but then it went to Paris and went to Venice. And, and there's now this thing called the love locks all over the world. I don't know, and they even have them in Fort Myers. And the idea is it's, it's a name that's written and it, it's to commemorate some sort of bond, somebody important, it represents love. And the idea is you write or engrave their name on and you lock it up and there's different significance and different stories. And so we wanna make the love locks real at Cape Christian. And so we're gonna do about 15 more minutes of worship. And as we do, we have a lock with two keys for each and every single one of you. And you're gonna have to follow my instructions, adults, in just a second. <laughs> but here's what we're gonna do is we want, if you know who your one is, we're gonna pray over these and retire these and we're gonna kind of hit reset on the one. If you're online, we have a virtual way to do this. There's a link you can click and, and the team will give you instruction. But we are gonna give you a Sharpie and you can write their name or their initial and then you're gonna lock it right on the fence that we built right when you walked in. I don't know if you saw it right out those doors. And so here's what's, I need everybody to listen to this part. We're gonna sing a couple songs. We got plenty of time. Calm down, it's okay. But when you're ready, at any point in worship, there are locks all on this stage. There's some around the room. And I need everybody, whether you're sitting over there, over here, I need everybody, when you're ready, at any point during worship at the end of this, to make your way down the front, down this aisle, around the back. And when you get to the back wall, you're gonna be given a Sharpie. And that's where you're gonna write the initials or the name of your one. And then you're gonna go out to the lobby and you can, um, you're gonna take, there's two keys. You're gonna take one key off and you keep it. And the other one, we want you to lock it onto the lock just like this. Can you see that? Keep it like that. And then you're going to lock it on there and then you're gonna come out, you're gonna drop the Sharpie off and you're gonna go back to your seat because we need enough Sharpies for everybody. And here's why we're gonna do this. Last week, we heard a story about the older brother had the key the whole time to go get his younger brother. And so we want everybody to walk out of here with a key and we want you to put it somewhere where you're gonna remember that you might just be the key to the Paul in your life the person who needs to know Jesus. And then you're gonna leave the other key and you're gonna lock it. And you're gonna put it on that fence and we're just gonna add names. If you are here and you're not ready, you're like, I don't have anybody, I don't know anybody, oh, that sounds awesome. Every week forever, we're gonna have padlocks and Sharpies at the Connect Desk. So if you're not ready this week, you can come back next weekend. You can come back the weekend after that and we wanna add, but here's what we want you to do. When that person comes to church, when they give their lives to Jesus, cause they're gonna, when they get baptized and they will, we want you to take them to the wall we want you to take the key and say, I've been praying for you 
for however long, and we want you to unlock it, and we want you to give it to me, and we want you to know that somebody loved you enough that go ahead. I've been praying and dreaming and believing, and our whole church has been praying for this moment, and you have no idea what that would do for that person. And so we're going to make our own love locks and our own lock bridge right here, and every time you see them, you can remember to pray for them, and that's what we're going to do. Is everybody clear on the instructions? So we have 14 minutes of worship which is plenty of time. So we don't all need to mow each other over like we're looking for $100 in a youth room. And whenever you're ready, at any point throughout these worship set, we want you just to come up, grab a lock. Once you get a lock, come down the front. If we see anybody go that way, we will bull rush you. No, it's not that bad, but we'd be tempted. Go down this aisle, around the back, you'll be given a Sharpie. And then please come back in, finish worshiping with us. And we wanna pray together over these at the end. So once, you, once you're done, we're not, we're not done, don't leave. Come back in, let's worship and let's bring, let's bring these to the heart of God. And I believe we're gonna see a move of God in our city if we're willing to just say, God, here I am, use me. So if you're physically able, stand to your feet. Worship team's gonna come out. And at any point when Josh starts singing, you can start to make your way, grab a lock, go lock it. Uh, if you have any questions, the ushers will help you and then come back to your seat and we'll finish worship. Let me pray. And then we will begin worshiping and then you can come up and grab a lock. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your heart, for this message, for this series. God, I pray that, that this would mean something to us, that, that we believe that you're going to, to use us to help be a part of your story in somebody else's life. So God, even for those who have been maybe thinking or praying, put that name or that, that, that person in their heart so they have an initial or a name to write as we do this. God, let this not be a gimmick, but let this be a symbol of your heart and ours as we worship you in Jesus' name, amen.